Praise the Lord. Can I have our seats? Good evening, everyone. Today, we are going to be looking at a psalm. A decree, a psalm of degrees by David. Psalm 133. Psalm 133 by David. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that around down the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Amen. Just three verses. Doesn't seem like there's a lot to it, at least on the surface. Today, I've divided today's teaching into two main parts. The first is that unity is active. The second is the characteristics of unity. The third, I will touch on just a bit as an external factor outside of this particular verse, or this particular text, but still important in looking at unity holistically. But the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that unity is an active thing. You cannot describe or define unity simply by the absence of strife or disharmony or discontent or quarrels or um, hassles. Amen. So one of the things that we have to learn about scripture is that when scripture is directing us towards a particular thing, scripture is not only directing us towards a negative, it's also directing us towards a positive. So for example, when Jesus said um, that we should pray for our enemies and we should bless those that curse us, there is a positive to that. What that means is that it's not enough for you as a believer to simply say, just because you don't react when people that do something, or just because when people persecute you, you don't react or you don't do anything, or you keep it to yourself, or you don't um, say something back, or you don't respond the way you will have responded. Amen. It's not the fulfillment of it at all. It's not enough simply to say, "Oh, I, someone, I, I didn't, I didn't abuse him, or I didn't say something back to him, or I didn't give him a piece of my mind when he did that or he did this." So I am what? I am a good Christian. I am fulfilling scripture. No. 
What you've just done is the negative. Just because you don't succumb to the negative does not mean that you are obeying the what? The positive. The positive is you have to actively bless that person. You have to pray for that person. That's the hard part. The hard part is not keeping quiet and not saying anything. The hard part is going on your knees and talking to God and saying, Lord, this person that hates me, that did this thing to me, do not hold it against the person. Have what? Mercy on the person. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus said what? Forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Stephen also did it when he was stoned to death. The last thing he said was that, Lord, do not hold this sin on their account. Then God received the spirit. So it's the same with unity. Unity is active. Unity is not just that something is absent. Unity is something is actually present. And the reason why we can tell from the verse that we're examining, 33, that unity is something that is active is because it leads to something. And it says what? Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's the reason why the subject or the title of today's teaching is the spirit of unity. So what it's telling you is that when this thing called unity exists, it is what? Supposed to produce goodness. And it's also supposed to produce pleasantness. Goodness is an attribute of God. So essentially, what he's saying is that when unity is in a place, goodness will be there because goodness essentially shows the presence of God. When there is true unity, it will be good because only God is good. You can find that in Luke chapter 18, verse 19, where the rich young man came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus responded to him and said, Why call ye me good? No one is good except what? Except God. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that God created the earth. And for every step of the way, he looked at it and he saw that it was what? Good. Good Goodness can only be produced from God. He is the only one that can produce it in his truest sense. So when the Bible tells us here that what? It's good that there's unity among the brethren. It means that God what approves this. This is what God desires. It's a stamp and a seal of approval that God is what? In this thing. Pleasantness, on the other hand, shows the benefits it has to mankind. Because pleasantness has to do with us. And not just mankind, but specifically the children of God. How do I know he's talking specifically about the children of God? It's because he said what? It is pleasant for who? The brethren. The brethren to dwell together in unity. So unity is active. It's very active. And the next thing we're going to look at are the characteristics of unity. And to look at the characteristics of unity, we first have to look at this from two dimensions or two perspectives. The first perspective is unity with God's spirit. Because unity with God's spirit has to do with the individual church. 
that's you and I that are looking at ourselves. I am the church. You are also the church. And there's a dimension of unity that you have to have with the Spirit of God that would eventually produce the second type of unity, which is the main course here, which is unity among God's people, which is the collective church. So those are the two dimensions of unity we are going to be considering. And the two examples that are given in this verse are examples that actually totally and completely describe the characteristics of unity. The first example is verse 2. And it says, It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. Here, unity is being represented by the oil. And Aaron is a type of what? Of the church in this analogy. So what does that tell us? The first thing it tells us is that unity is spiritual which is the head of this. And how do I know that unity is spiritual? It is because if you go back to the later part of the book of Exodus, when God was giving Moses the instructions for the tabernacle, he did not just give Moses the instructions for the tabernacle, he also gave Moses instructions for the priesthood. And the priesthood and the garments of the priest Aaron was carefully constructed according to design. It was put upon Aaron. And the last thing that was done to Aaron to qualify him for that service was that the oil was what was poured on his head. Without that oil, nothing can happen. Because that oil was the representation of what? Of the presence of God. And not only was he anointed, his sons were also anointed. And God gave an instruction that whenever they are to pass down the, the role of the high priest to another one of his sons, they should what? Pour that oil. It's a symbol of the presence of God. So unity is a spiritual thing. Unity is not something you can manufacture with your head. Just because people are not fighting in a place and they are not boxing each other, they are united. Because unity is supposed to produce something. It's supposed to produce goodness. It's supposed to produce pleasantness. Amen. And if it is not doing that, there is a problem. So that's the first thing we can see. The second thing that we can see is that unity is born from holiness. It's born from holiness. And the reason why we can say that is because there was an embargo on the responsibility of holiness that was given to Aaron as the priest. Amen. He couldn't just do anyhow. He had to be holy. Because he could not perform his duties without holiness. That oil that was on his head was a mark that what he is fit for what? He's fit for this office. So before the oil was finally put on his head, if you read through the book of Exodus, you find out that Aaron had to do what? A lot of things. Purify himself. He had to get himself ready for what? For the assignment. 
So unity is born from holiness. And like I said, when we go through all these things, we have to go through it, both looking at it from the individual church perspective, but also looking at it from what? The collective church perspective. What it means is that any church that does not make holiness its watchword cannot be united. Amen? A gathering of the saints that does not prioritize cannot be united. And what that means... And what that means is that any Christian who is not in sync with the Holy Spirit cannot be holy. Do we get it? Any Christian who, you can have the Holy Spirit inside you. You can speak all the tongues that you want to speak. You are born again, yes. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. But if you are not in sync with him, you cannot be holy. Because unity and holy, holiness go what? They go hand in hand. And this is applicable both to the physical individual church, that's you and I, and what? The collection of believers. The collective church. We can't fault it. The third thing here is that unity is born from love. And how do I know that unity is born from love? I know that unity is born from love because the entire purpose of the role of the priest, the entire purpose of the role of the chief priest was to what? Was to go into the holies of holies and to make sacrifices unto God for the sake of the sins of Israel. And that is an expression of God's love to us. Because what Aaron did and the descendants of Aaron did was a shadow of what Jesus was coming to do for us on the cross. So unity is born from love. Aaron was anointed That's the reason for him being anointed. Amen. The fourth thing I want to say that we can also this is that the church cannot minister without unity. And we can already infer that from the analogy we are given. Because if Aaron could not function as high priest without that oil being put on his head, the church cannot minister without unity. And we will even go a step further to say that the church cannot survive without unity. And you can take that as you will. Whether you choose to interpret that as the individual church or you choose to interpret that as the collective church, on the individual level, what that means is that if you are not in sync with the Spirit of God, you cannot minister before God. You can't. 
if you don't have clear instructions and directions as to what you are supposed to do in the house of God and for him, you can't minister before him. I'm studying the book of Leviticus currently. And if you read from Leviticus, from the end of Exodus into Leviticus, you will know that God is a God of specificity and details. A God of what? Specificity and details. God is so specific. The Spirit of God is extremely specific. You can't just come to God and just do what you want. Because there is a way that God expects his ministers to what? To be. And if you're not united with the Holy Spirit on an individual level, you cannot minister before God. You can't minister effectively. It got so bad for the high priests that if they did anyhow, they would die in there. Which was why the Bible on Aaron's garments, beyond the ropes that they would use to pull them out, they also had bells that were put on the garment of the high priest. These bells were put there so that the people of Israel would be able to hear as they what, as they are going in and as they are coming out. So as Aaron is moving inside the holies of holies, the bells are a signal that what, okay, he's still alive. And this was for every high priest. So if a moment of silence passes for what? For an the suspicion is something has probably happened to this man. Let's drag him out. And what that means as well is what? That the collective church cannot survive. We can't. We can't. Yes, we think differently. Yes, we have different personalities. But unity of spirit is not unity of, of, of thoughts or thinking ways. It's not unity of tribe. It's not unity of social class or status. Unity of spirit goes beyond anything in the physical. And God prioritizes this. Beyond this right from the Old Testament, and he's still doing it till today. If you get to any church that is cold, and it feels like God is not moving, hmm? if it's a true church, and the pastor is called, or the man of God is called, and the church is not, it feels like the church is just cold, nothing is happening there, check well, you will find that they are probably not united. That there's strife and there's bickering. There's probably competition in some major sects of that church. There are people in that church that probably have different spiritual ideologies on what direction the church is supposed to And they are actively pursuing it. God cannot move in such a place. And that's the reason why when God gave an instruction to the children of Israel during the time of Joshua and Achan that instruction, God didn't take it out on Achan. He took it out on Israel. 
He took it out on Israel because God prioritizes unity. And if one person falls away, he took it as the whole nation has fallen away. So when Joshua came to God and was complaining and explaining himself before God, the Lord told Joshua to get up. When I read that verse, I find out that as I'm reading it, when God told Joshua to get up, there's an exclamation mark there. If you read your Bible very well, you see. Meaning the get up was, what are you doing? This is unnecessary. It wasn't pampering him. Amen. He was serious. Told him, get up. And it says what? Israel has sinned. Because they have taken of the accursed thing. Who is Israel? Achan and his family. God has always been like this. The church cannot survive without unity. The last thing that we would consider is that it flows from Christ to his body. Christ to his body because if Aaron is the representation of the church, who is the head of the church? Jesus. And the Bible says, even in this verse that we read, that's what? That it was poured upon the head of Aaron. Ran down to the even Aaron's beards. And it went down to the skirts of his garments. To the skirts of his garments. And in the same vein, the spirit of unity flows directly from Jesus. And it comes down to what? To us. It's not something that the church is lacking. It's something that the church already has. What on an individual level is that no Christian should ever think to himself or say out loud that he or she does not have the power to obey God. Amen? It's a lie. It's a fallacy. Because his spirit is inside you. No Christian should say, oh yes, I, I, I can't. this is what God is telling me to do, so, but I can't align with him on it. You can't, because he flows from who? From the head. And that also applies to the collective church. I want us to look at some of the supporting scriptures I have written down here so that we just see them. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 from verse 4 to 5. Still put your Bible in... Psalm 133, we're still coming back to it. Well, I just want us to read some other things so that we would see. Romans 12, 4 to 5 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members of what? Of one another. Can we look at Second Corinthians thirteen eleven? Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. It says, Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, 
Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall shall be with you. One of the things that you would see as a consistent theme in the letters to the church from the apostles is that they always stressed the theme of unity. Paul said it multiple times. Peter said it. John said it. Because it's important to God. It's absolutely vital for the Christian life. Can't do without it. So that's the first picture. The picture of Aaron and the oil that flows from his head to his beards down to his skirt. But the second picture we see in Psalm 133 is quite interesting. Verse 3, the last verse, it says, As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mounts of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So the thing about Mount Hermon, because these are two mountains, there's Mount Zion and there's Mount Hermon in the physical realm. The interesting thing about Mount Hermon and the reason why Mount Hermon is mentioned first is because of the necessity of the dew on that specific mountain. What David is focusing on actually is what is Mount Zion. But because of the necessity of dew on Mount Hermon, he had to mention that so that you would understand the necessity or the place of what? Of unity in the church. So Mount Hermon currently is in modern-day Palestine. As we know that Israel is surrounded by enemies, about like 125 miles from Jerusalem. And the unique thing about Mount Hermon, particularly at that time, is that it suffered a lot of dryness and a lot of heat. There was no rain for a majority of the year. So from around April, that's modern April, because months were different then. Or from around April to around October, there's no rain there on Mount Hermon. The rain doesn't fall. That's how many months in the year? That's about seven. Yes, seven months. But during that time, what used to happen was that in the evening, dew would fall from what? From heaven. And because dew would fall from the sky, that place could actually have what? Crops. There was fruitfulness on that land. Even if there was no rain, there was what? There was dew. And that's how that mountain survived what? Dryness. Every year. And because of the necessity and the importance of dew for that mountain, David is using that mountain as an illustration and speaking about Mount Zion, which is what? The church, the seat of where God is. So in the same way as the first analogy, 
the dew here represents unity. And Mount Zion is the church. So once again, what are the characteristics based on what we have seen? The first characteristic we have is that unity is from God above. And we've already spoken about that when we talked about the fact that unity is what? It's spiritual. The second is that unity is refreshing to the what? To the soul. Sometimes I wonder how Christians can live in disobedience. Like, how can you be comfortable constantly being out of God's will and what he's saying to you to do? Like, how do you survive it? There can be periods where you are stubborn and all that, but you don't have any peace. If a Christian is peaceful at points where they are not cooperating with the Spirit of God or you're not united with him, I doubt that that person is a Christian. So on an individual level, unity is refreshing to what? To the soul. But it's not just that. Even as the collective church, unity is what? It's refreshing to us. When everyone is in one accord and we are connected with God, God refreshes us. It's refreshing to the soul. The next characteristic we have here is that unity brings, it brings fruitfulness. It brings what? Fruitfulness. Because on Mount Hermon, this is how they survive. This is how plants could grow there. If not, they would suffer from dryness and what? And heat. And they would die. A church that wants to be fruitful has to be united. That's the secret ingredient for the church in Acts. The Bible says that what? And they had everything in one accord. And their hearts were in one accord. And they were of one mind. And nobody had anything of their own. And when you run down all of that, the Bible now says... And the Lord had it to what? Unto them daily. God will not bring someone to an environment that is not conducive for him. God cares about his sheep. The Lord cannot put his hand in the growth of any place that claims to be gathering for him if that place is not conducive for what? For his sheep. And what we have today is rather than people submitting to what? To the will of God, what we have instead is man-made machinations to fill up halls, fill up, um, fill up places using what skill and sense and organizational tactics, simply because we cannot just align to what actually brings fruitfulness in God's house. Now, that's on the collective church level, but it also applies to the individual church. Rather than align ourselves to what God is telling us to do and being united in the Holy Spirit about the things that are pertain to our lives, what we want to do instead is to find our own fruit in our own way. But if we're not united with God's Spirit, we cannot experience fullness in our lives. We can't scam God. We can't do it. It doesn't work. 
And the next thing that we can gain from this scripture is that unity brings peace. Unity brings what? Peace. I already touched on this a bit when I talked about refreshing. But I also wonder how people, believers, can claim to be peaceful when they are not in sync with God. I don't think it's possible. Because taking away your peace is one of the ways that the Spirit of God actually talks to you. Because once you step out of His will and you are no longer in sync with Him, the first thing that you will lose is your peace. So your unity is very, very connected to your peace, your spiritual peace. They are in sync. And that's all we can gain from this because this mountain could thrive. It could actually be a place of sustenance for men because of the dew. Nobody likes a barren land. Nobody wants to associate with barren land. And that's what the dew brought to that place. The dew from heaven every evening for months. That's a blessing from God. And it's the same for the church. This peace is not the absence of external strife. When we read through the history of the church, they had God's peace, they still had persecution but they were at peace. This peace is assurance of God's presence constantly, irrespective of what the situation is like, whether good or bad. And that applies for both the individual, the church, and the what? And the collective church. These are the two pictures that we have described to us by David. In Psalm 133. Once again, I just want us to look at the supporting scripture here. Then we will look at the agents of unity and we will close. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I read from verse 1 to 6. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of what? Of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And that sums it up nicely. So real quick, before we close, I want us to talk about the agents of unity. And I would like you to keep your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4. First is the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the captain of the church. 
He is the president of the current dispensation. The current dispensation of the kingdom of God is the church, and the Spirit of God is its, its president. So without the Holy Spirit, there is no unity. The anointing is representative of what? Of his spirit. The oil. The anointing is the Holy Spirit in action. So we can't do anything or even speak about unity without the spirit of God. Other agents of unity that we have are the five the fivefold ministries or spiritual leadership. I want us to open the Bible to Ephesians 4, which is why I said you should remain there. Verse 13. Read from verse And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the what? In the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If there's anything that I want us to understand today, beyond all the things we've discussed already, is the importance, and not just the importance, but the wisdom of God in the way he has established his church. Because all this while, we have been talking about the collective church, and we've been talking about the individual church, right? But the collective church can be divided into two still. The collective church is both the local assembly and the entire body of Christ. And God still ensures the unity of what? Of both the local assembly and the entire body of Christ. How does he do that? It's through spiritual leadership. It's through the fivefold ministries. What is the assurance that the church that is in Taiwan, the church that is in, in Iran and Iraq, the church that is in Mali, this church that we are here speaking today, and the church that is somewhere in Antarctica, what is the assurance that all those churches are, are feeding their flock with what the Holy Spirit wants what? Wants them to feed the flock with. What is the assurance that the entire church is getting what the Spirit of God wants for them to get per season is the fivefold ministries. It is. They are important. Because you see, we need to stop thinking ab about the church just in terms of where you are. There is a message, there is a direction, there is a timetable for the entire body. We're all moving towards something. What we're all moving towards is in the book of Revelations. When the bride will be what? Reunited with his bride, with the bridegroom. And the Bible says that when the bride is reunited with the bridegroom, that bride will be without spot 
without wrinkle, without blemish. And essentially, right now, what that bride is doing is the bride is preparing itself for what? For that bridegroom. And the bride is preparing itself by removing what? Spots, wrinkles, and blemish. Who are the people that are responsible for that job? Yes, we've talked about God, the Holy Spirit. But after them, he walks through the fivefold ministries. And any church that is truly set up by God has to have them. Because it is their job to prepare the bride. And that's what we read here. To the perfecting of what? Of the saints. Unity of what? Of the faith. That is why you can ensure and you can have confidence that even if you have never met a Christian in China or in Iraq, that without the language barrier, if two of you talk and that person is true and that person is in a true church and you are also in a true church, you both agree on the fundamentals of the faith. Why will you both agree? Because is that not unity? That is unity. It means you are united in what? In spirit. Yet you don't know each other. Why? Because of the spirit of God? Or because of the fivefold ministries? Because that person is under a pastor. The same way you are under pastors. Because that person is probably under a prophetic function. The same way you are. That's how the Lord does it. Because he's moving his entire global church. Towards what? One thing, one goal. That marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we're all heading towards. And we have to be ready. The reason why I choose to bring this up today, even as I conclude on unity, is that a lot of times, the way that Christians are blindsided to getting out of the will of God is the devil making them despise spiritual leadership. Amen. Despise what? Spiritual leadership. It's one of the most effective ways. We live in a very individualistic generation. I don't want to use the word rebelli re rebellious. <laughs> It is actually quite rebellious, but I'm going to use the word individualistic because that's the excuse we like to give ourselves. And because we live in a very individualistic generation, what that means is that people seldom want to be led. Young people don't want to be led. They don't want to be told what to do. When I say young, I mean till 40 because 40 is still young. We don't want to be told what to do. We believe that we can figure it out on our own. But God's standards do not change. God would always place people over his children. That's what he does. Always. And anyone who claims to be in sync with God, but is not under spiritual leadership, is lying. Amen. Is what? It's lying. So, myself and Pastor Femi know a guy, Tano, right? His name is Tano. We knew him years ago. We say he left church. 
and he left the church because he didn't like the church politics and all that. So his wife is the one that goes to church. For him, it doesn't go. And what he prefers is to like organize like alternative ways to for Christians to meet. So alternate and the invited us for one of them. We went. Femi read um what did you read? Wasn't it Femi read a story, did all those things. They will share Bible. What he was doing was not in quotes worldly. The problem is he has no understanding of spiritual principle and spiritual law. And there are so many Christians like that today that believe that as long as we just gather as friends, we're all Christians now, let's just share the Bible and go home, that somehow that gathering can replace the church. Can never. Can never do it. It can never what? Can never do it. Because you can't step out of God's law and God's established rule. And many people are caught in this web. And yes, they will say, eh, we meet now and that the spirit of God is in me. So God talks to me. The person is deceiving himself or herself. Cannot be united with God on an individual level and not be under spiritual leadership. It's not possible. You have to be under spiritual leadership. The whole Bible, the only person that was not under spiritual leadership in a physical sense was Jesus. And even him, he said what? Everything my father says I should do, I do. Nothing that I do is of what? It's of my own. I have no will of my own. It's what I hear him do, I do. So if Jesus, our Savior, was like that when he was on earth, then who are you? And this is where we conclude on the subject of unity. To understand that it's a very active thing. And it's something that is needed in the body of Christ. And it's something that is lacking currently in the church. Because people don't want to listen to the Spirit of God. And people don't want to submit to spiritual leadership. And because they don't want these things, they cannot claim to have unity. Because unity is not simply the absence of what? Of strife. Unity is supposed to bring the goodness of God to your life. And it's supposed to make you live a pleasant what? A pleasant life. This is a revelation that David had. Even as he lived in the old what? In the Old Testament under the law. So many things that David wrote though. He wrote like he was living in the time of Jesus. Because he had such prophetic insight and revelation. Into what the church is supposed to be. And I pray that God will continue to help us in Jesus name. Let's rise up.